Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May Strain podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. So, Wow. It has been a very rough two weeks, I think for everyone, but also for me, I've had, you know, problems like personally, and also now I live in a world where uh, America is basically uh, banning abortion. That's fun. Um, you know, I never, I never really um, learned a lot about Roe v. Wade in school. I'm, I'm Canadian. We didn't, I don't think we've had any, um, anything similar happen here I'm not quite sure um but you know it was always just something that existed and I was like oh that's cool you know America had this you know case that basically well got people good access to abortion and that's great I'm completely pro-choice but like the idea that it's now been taken away is probably the shittiest thing I've ever heard and wow doesn't this year just keep on getting worse yeah. Well, um, I wanted to make aware of all the things that uh, I can do and you guys can do to help support um, the right to abortion in America and in general in your country if, like, you don't want a similar thing to happen there. Like, here in Canada, you'd think it, w- it wouldn't affect me too much. But, you know, there's a lot of Canadian MPs, especially in the Conservative Party, who don't support abortion. And it's very reasonable that something like this could happen here to me or in your country. So, um, one of the things I want to do, hopefully I'll uh, be getting my job soon, I'll be able to donate. Uh, I encourage you guys to uh, send donations to um, abortion clinics. Planned Parenthood, stuff like that. You should also, uh, if you're American, know your rights. Um, And, you know, engage with your representatives. And, you know, educate yourself about abortion in your country and the access that you have to it and stuff like that. I'm sorry, I'm not very good at explaining this, but this is something I am really passionate about and I hope that you know, everything goes well in America and that they can, in fact, fix this and, you know, not turn back, like, you know, 200 years or something like that. Um, well, in, in good news, um, I, even though I missed my, uh, Washington vacation, I got to go to my uncle's instead as kind of like a backup vacation. You know, it was fun. Not as good as, you know, Washington, D.C. would have been, but, you know, still great. Um, I went to an antique shop called dead people stuff that was really great i enjoyed that i got a nautical map of um north carolina specifically the outer banks region because you know i love the tv show outer banks (laughs) and they had this cool nautical map of the outer banks and it's from like 1915 and i'm going to frame it and put it on my wall very exciting okay so enough about me enough about the world being shitty time to have some fun and do a little history. Now, uh, last time I, I gave you guys a hint about who I was doing today, and I said Mount Vernon. 
uh, which is, you know, place I was supposed to go to, but I didn't. So today we are focusing on Martha Washington, which is, you know, kind of ironic with the whole abortion things happening and people referring to the Constitution when um, Martha was alive, when the Constitution was written. So it's kind of ironic we're getting into her story. Now I'm sure a lot of people know who Martha Washington is, wife of first president of the United States, George Washington, first first lady. I didn't really know a lot about her prior to doing this episode, so I'm really excited to share her story with you. And I just have to uh, mention, probably before we start, that obviously... Uh, this was a very different time that Martha was living in, and obviously this doesn't excuse her actions, despite the fact that this was a very different time. Martha was a slave owner her entire life, and definitely had the belief that uh, black people were lesser than her. I don't want to celebrate her for this, because it is a terrible part of, well, in general American history and, you know, her personal beliefs. I don't want to celebrate her for that, but I do think it's important to uh, notate her life because she was a very interesting woman and a very important part of American history. So if you guys are ready, let's get into it. Okay, so Martha Washington was born as Martha Dandridge on June 2nd, 1731 to John Dandridge and Francis Jones on her parents' plantation, Chestnut Grove, which was in the colony of Virginia, which at the time was in the 13 colonies. Now, of course, her being born on June 2nd makes her a Gemini, and you know, with doing all these episodes, I, I you know, I very often forget the signs of many of the women I've done. Um, we've had a couple of Geminis. Um, not quite sure which ones they are. I'm gonna have to, I'm really gonna have to make a list <laughs> of the women I've done and their signs, you know, just to make sure I have it tracked, but I think we've had a couple Gen Geminis before. Anyway, Geminis are generally generally really playful, intellectual, pretty much, you know, life of the party. They like planning parties, stuff like that. Now, and considering Martha was a hostess her entire life, and literally at one point, you know, the most important hostess in the entire country, I feel like that tracks, even though uh, she didn't really like social events, but she was really good at planning them. In fact, many people commented on her great hospitality, so I think it still fits. Anyway, let's get into Martha's parents before we talk about her actually very interesting childhood. Okay, so let's start with her dad, John Dandridge. So Martha's papa, John, was an English immigrant who came to Virginia when he was 14 years old as the son of an English craftsman. However, by the time he was 30, uh, he had become a successful planter who owned 500 acres along the uh, Pamukki River, where he built a plantation with a two-story house where Martha and her younger siblings, uh, John Dandridge Jr., William Dandridge, Bartholomew Dandridge, Anna Marie Dandridge, and Bassett, uh, sorry, uh, Francis Dandridge, Elizabeth Dandridge, Mary Dandridge, and, you know, all her other siblings <laughs> were born. Um, he eventually assumed uh, a very sought-after position as the clerk of the New Kent County Court, and he also served as a colonel in the local militia and a vestryman, which I don't know what that is. It just said it. I didn't look it up. In his parish church, um, John met Martha's mother, Frances Jones, in Virginia society when he was 29 and she was 19. Ew. <laughs> um, and they got married the following year when she was 20 and he was 30. Now, compared to uh, Martha's dad, Martha's mom was far more upper class than John Dandridge. Frances was born in Virginia to a prominent landowner, uh, Orlando Jones, and was raised by her stepmother for her 
most of her life, but started living independently when she was 16 until she met Martha's father. Now, thanks to her decent inheritance and the enslaved people that she inherited from her father, Orlando Jones, she and John Dandridge were able to build a very comfortable middle-class Virginian life for themselves, which is what Martha would have grown up in. Also, uh, one interesting thing I read about Martha's dad is that he may or may not have, probably did, had an affair with one of his enslaved people. Um, and one of his enslaved people, um, we don't know her, her name, uh, we, they think she was half black and half Cherokee, which produced a, a young lady named Ann Coston, who may have been Martha's half-sister. Uh, we really have no evidence if this is true, but it, like I've talked about before in the similar time here, it was very exceptionally common for plantation owners to have very inappropriate relationships with their enslaved people on the plantation. So it could totally be true that Martha had a half uh, sister, but you know, who, who really knows? Okay, so let's talk a bit about Martha's appearance and her education and upbringing in Virginia. Now, Martha grew up in a very privileged and middle class like British American life. Basically her function in life was to marry an upper class planter, manage a plantation of her own, and you know, train her sons to be, you know, gentlemen and make sure her daughters were ready to fulfill a similar position that she was in. Now, as a result, her education reflected this kind of life that she was going to lead. It's pretty likely that she had a very informal education where she was trained, you know, in the home, uh, learning how to do music to impress people, sewing, um, household management, which probably would have, you know, included a little bit math, a little bit of math so she could, you know, do the accounts. Uh, plantation management, you know, crop sales, uh, homopathic metal medicine, animal husbandry, so that she can manage the animals. And it's actually kind of interesting. Those extra skills, uh, she demonstrated them as an adult, which su suggests she had a pretty extensive, like, plantation education. Um, it, and probably proves that she had a larger education than we initially thought she did, which is very cool that she got to learn, like, more than the average girl of her time period so that she could, you know, manage large farms. Now, as for her looks, we know that she had dark hair. Uh, she was probably about five feet tall. She wasn't very tall. Uh, but in general, she was considered very attractive. And um, based on some portraits of her younger self, I think she's very pretty. But it's kind of funny to me that I'd, like, I I'm 5'7". I'm, like, fairly tall for a woman. I'd, like, tower over her. I'd be, like, seven inches taller than her, which is hilarious to think about. Now, when Martha came of age in her teens, she made her debut into Virginian society. I'm sure it was a very nice debutante ball that she got to attend. And she was now, at this age, expected to make a decent marriage. But soon enough, Martha got into probably a little bit more uh, than she bargained for when she attracted the attention of the heir to one of Virginia's largest fortunes go her now legend says that martha made the acquaintance of her first husband daniel park custis at their shared anglican church and he was a pretty big catch in virginian society i mean he was like prime a marriage material he was the son of this guy named john custis the fourth who owned probably thousands of acres of land had almost 300 enslaved people on his plantation. He also sat on the governor's council, which was the highest governing body in the colony, and in general, was a hard ass who pretty much cared more for money than his children's happiness, which, you know, fucking typical. Um, and when he found out his son, 
an heir was courting the daughter of an upstart planter with like a really small dowry than he than he would probably get out of any other woman in Virginia. Uh, John John Custis Sr. threatened to uh, disinherit his son if he were to even make a move towards Martha. But Daniel was like, he was genuinely into Martha. He's like, this chick is fucking cool. And he really wanted to marry her. And his friends and other family members could see that, like, Daniel was really, really into Martha. So they tried to sway Daniel's father, but when that didn't work, Martha personally asked to meet him. And... You know, John Custis Sr. was like, all right, fine, let her come over. Let's see what this girl's got. Now, Martha met Mr. Custis and made her case to him, basically being like, I really love your son. I think I'd be a good wife to him. Like, please, please let me marry him. And the next thing you know, like, after this meeting, Mr. Custis was singing Martha's praises and gave his permission for them to get married, which, you know, go Martha. Look at those negotiating skills. Um, Martha got married to Daniel Park Custis on May 15th, 1750. Uh, Martha was 19 and oh, oh. Daniel was 38, <laughs> which I know is gross, but to be fair, I, I looked a lot into Daniel's history just to like, you know, see what was up with him. Daniel had been trying to get married for l literally like a decade. Like this man had been like itching to marry. And I'm sure he would have married someone age appropriate years ago if his dad hadn't like been such a picky dick and hadn't been like, no, not that one. Not that one. You can't get married yet. No, no. So I'm sure he probably would have married someone age appropriate years ago, but he, you know, he's 38. He can't marry another 38 year old. He needs children, right? So yeah, I know it's it's gross, but like it makes sense why he married a 19-year-old Martha. Anyway, uh, Martha moved into his family home, which was <laughs> at the time ironically called the White House, where she became Mrs. Martha Custis. Um, not too long after she moved in, Martha's new father-in-law died, and she was now the manager of one of the largest um, plantations in Virginia and wife to one of the wealthiest landowners in Virginia. So fucking score. She had access to god mountains of money and she used that to her advantage by furnishing her house with pretty much the finest objects money could buy like damask fabric to cover the dining room chairs uh nice ass tea sets uh which were made out of really nice chinese porcelain like and uh sterling silver flatware engraved with her custis family coat of arms um she also upgraded that wardrobe uh, she wore the finest clothes and the latest styles, and as a special treat, her husband ordered a very, very expensive one-person carriage just for her called a riding chair, which was lined with smooth blue English cloth for Martha's comfort, which was very nice of him. It's almost like your husband buying you a car, <laughs> but like 1700 style. Go, Daniel. Now, before we move on, uh, as I did at the start of the episode, I want to address something that was very central to Martha's life, and that was slavery. Martha grew up around slavery her entire life, and as a result of being a very privileged person, she believed that slavery was something that was okay, and it's something that I can't ignore, even though I think she's a very fascinating historical figure. Martha spent a great deal of her life managing the lives of her enslaved people, and while she did become friendly with some of them, she still viewed them as property, which is an inexcusable attitude to have had even back then, and it's certainly an inexcusable attitude to have now. However, 
how she ended up this way is evident based on how she grew up being told that slavery was okay and it like it never crossed her mind that you know slavery was a bad thing which explains her views but does not excuse them i did not want to leave this out and i think it's very important that i highlight how ugly the past can be even if even if a person is important historically i try to keep it lighthearted on this podcast but even though we are celebrating martha's life and accomplishments in this episode she was a slave owner and we can never forget that so thank you for listening to me rant about that and let's get into what we think martha's relationship with her husband was like and the you know babies she had with him now, based on everything I read, Martha and Daniel Casa seems to have a pretty good relationship, which is, you know, very rare in quite arranged marriages, even though they seem to have uh, facilitated their own marriage. He seemed to genuinely care about her, and uh, considering he almost got disinherited to marry her, he must have really, really loved her. Uh, not to mention, he gave her quite a lot of autonomy with her finances in running the plantation, uh, especially since she had all that extra knowledge of farming and trading. So all in all, I think they had a good relationship and a, a genuinely loving marriage. So yay. Woo. Okay, boys and girls, it's time for babies. Because on November 19th, 1751, Martha gave birth to her first child, a boy, who they of course named Daniel Park Custis Jr. And then in April uh, 1753, she had her second child, Francis Park Custis. In 1754, she had her son, John, who they called Jackie. And finally, in 1756, she gave birth to her last child, uh, who she called Patsy. Now, sadly, she would lose her two oldest children, Daniel and Francis, before either of them turned five, which sucks. But, you know, child mortality was super common during this era. I'm sure she probably expected to lose a few of her children. But, you know, that doesn't, you know, minimize her pain, even though, you know, you expect to lose a couple of children, it still hurts. Uh, speaking of losing people in 1757, after only uh, seven years of marriage, uh, Daniel Park Custis became really, really sick. And he died on July 8th of that year. And now Martha was a widow at the exceptionally young age of 26. Imagine being a widow at 26 with two young children and a very, very uncertain future ahead of her. Now, after Daniel's death, Martha was in an incredibly unique position as a young widow with two children. Now, Daniel had died without a will, probably because he hadn't expected to die. I mean, he was, he was 50 years old. And because of this fact that he hadn't expected to die and didn't have a will, Martha was the executor of his super rich estate. And for the first time in her life, she had legal rights, which it must have been weird to have legal rights. She could legally buy and sell property, make contracts, sue, and be sued in court, which was a super, like, new state of being for her, because women couldn't normally do this. But after a few months, she realized, you know, she really missed companionship. She liked being married. She liked having a husband. And considering she had had a very happy marriage the first time around and grew up in a quite large family with a lot of siblings and parents who loved each other, it makes sense that she was eager to marry again pretty quickly. After all, she was under 30, could still have more children. So once the mourning period had passed appropriately, Martha started her search for a new boothang. Now, uh, very, very soon... <laughs> after uh, Martha got out of her mourning period and started looking for a new husband, Martha's intentions to find a new husband spread through Virginia like fucking wildfire. They were like, did you hear Martha? Martha Custis is looking for a new husband. Oh, she's kind of hot. And anyone, I think I want to marry her. And many, uh, many young men came a knocking 
to court Martha and her money. It was probably mostly the money that she had been left, but also probably because she was hot. And uh, that's how she met a very young soldier named George Washington. Now, the George Washington of the 1750s was quite different from the George Washington who would eventually become America's first president. Um, he was a tall six foot two soldier from a prosperous planter family and at the time was serving in the British military during the French and Indian War. Uh, we don't know exactly when they would have met for the first time. They may have known each other while she was still married to Daniel Parcustis, but we're not really sure about that. However, um, However, they met for the first time. When George was on leave, he made uh, several visits to Martha at her home. And within months, they were basically like, I like you. You like me. Maybe we should start planning a future together. Kind of interested in you. You know, what's up? George was basically sending her you up texts. <laughs> but like 1700 style. <laughs> now... George himself was also a very attractive marriage prospect, uh, thanks to his inheritance of his Mount Vernon estate from his half-brother. And as I mentioned, he was, you know, six, six foot fine, and also quite good looking from what I read. And Martha was, like, really into him. She was like, mm, <laughs> George Washington. I mean, they, they were really into each other. And at the end of 1758, uh, George resigned his military commission. Uh, and on January 6, 1759, uh, Martha Dandridge Custis married George Washington at her home in New Kent County. She was 26 and he was 25, which I like much better than her last marriage. She's older than him by like, I think it was like, I don't even think it was a full year. I think it was like eight months she was older than him. Something like that. Anyway, Martha wore some a bomb-ass outfit to this wedding. I mean, damn. She wore these like beautiful handcrafted purple shoes which is you know significant because uh purple was a very hard color to get back then because it was so expensive like if you were wearing purple you knew that person was rich because it was very hard to afford purple shoes and actually the interesting thing about these purple shoes they're on display at mount vernon and um at the time i was writing this i was like oh i'm gonna see the shoes because i'm going to mount vernon you know i didn't go to mount vernon but uh hopefully next year if i uh, get to go i'll get to see them i'm very excited to see the purple shoes <laughs> um in addition to her purple shoes she also wore a beautiful yellow gown ordered from england for the ceremony which is you know quite the combination purple shoes and a yellow dress um, George wore a blue silk coat and silver buckles on his shoes, which, you know, nice fit, George. And after honeymooning at, uh, her late husband's house, which is an interesting choice to honeymoon at your dead husband's house. Um, after they honeymooned, they set up shop at Mount Vernon, where Martha was now the new mistress of Mount Vernon, which, you know, upgrades, upgrades, upgrades. Now, thanks to an abundance of letters, we actually know a ton about Martha and George's relationship, and it's honestly, like, kind of fucking adorable how in love they were. Like, <sighs> like they really did consider each other partners in this marriage, and they actually had a quite the cozy family life at Mount Vernon, where they raised Martha's two surviving children, Patsy and Jackie. Now, unfortunately, George and Martha never managed to have any children on their own. It's actually believed that George Washington was infertile. Uh, which sucks because George, like, he genuinely enjoyed being a stepfather to Patsy and Jackie. I think he would have been a fantastic father. Uh, still, nevertheless, they happily raised Patsy and Jackie at Mount Vernon for over a decade until in the 1770s, 
a revolution <laughs> like no other was coming to British North America and shit was about to get flipped, bitches. Okay, so I'm not going to explain the entirety of the American Revolution because one, it's not relevant, and two, this isn't a war podcast. I'm not an expert on the American Revolution. I'm not really an expert in anything, but that's irrelevant. Plus, it would take several episodes to explain the entire American Revolution. Also, that's boring, so I'm just going to give you all the cliff notes and tell you about Martha's contributions to the American Revolution. Now, when war broke out with the signing of the Declaration of Independence, uh, George had been called as a member of the First Continental Congress and was appointed as leader of the Continental Army. Probably, he was probably recommended because of his service in the French and Indian War, which he, you know, did a great job at. Um, after George left Mount Vernon in 1775, uh, he would not be back again for over six years. Now, Martha's contributions to this war were immense, including writing to all the wives of the colonial governors and asking them to encourage the women of their colonies to make not only financial contributions to this war, but to sow and gather necessary supplies for the Continental Army. She was like, you gotta back these boys. We gotta win this. Uh, not to mention every year during long winter months when uh, the fighting was at a standstill because it was too fucking cold for anyone to fight. Uh, George asked Martha to join him at his win winter encampment, which was rare as fuck. Um, every year she made the shitty journey to his camp. I'm sure it wasn't fun, whether it was at, you know, Cambridge, Valley Forge, Philadelphia, Morristown, Newburgh, or some other crappy battlefield no one wanted to be in. She fucking showed up. She stayed with him for months at a time. In fact, during the period from April 1775 until... 1783 martha was with her husband for almost half the time he was away so it was like he was never away uh george regarded his wife's presence as so essential to the cause that he actually had congress pay for her travel expenses which i find hilarious like can you imagine just like george being like hi congress um i miss my wife and i really think she's an important part of uh my troops morale so can you like pay for her to come and visit me for a couple months I can't believe they approved that. Anyway, speaking of camp life, smallpox was one of the uh, most deadly enemies soldiers faced during this time period in war in general. Now, with Martha spending time in the camp, she was exposed to the disease, and despite the risk, uh, Martha was very concerned about being uh, inoculated, and she decided to try this life-saving procedure, which pre prevented her from contracting smallpox when she visited the camp. Inoculation is basically like the uh, first type of vaccination, and it really did protect her from smallpox, or else she reasonably could have died from the disease. Now, as much as I... Uh, as much as Martha enjoyed having a big role in the war, she did miss her son Jack and her uh, quite uh, growing brood of grandchildren, who she adored. Unfortunately, uh, she lost her son Jackie to sickness during this war. Um, and her daughter Patsy, unfortunately, passed away from pneumonia and Patsy had no children. So it was just uh, Jackie's grandchildren, sorry, Jackie's children that Martha had left. Now, this war pretty much destroyed everyone, including Martha. She lost two children to disease and watched a nation be born in front of her eyes. I mean, that's not something you exactly see every day. And immediately after the war and the American victory, Martha's husband was unanimous, unanimously elected as the first president of the United States. And she became the country's first first lady, even though that term wouldn't be coined until 
well after her time in in the position. It wouldn't be coined to like the Civil War, but despite that, she was the first First Lady. Now, almost immediately after the war ended, Martha and George started attending official events with her grandchildren, Nellie and Washington, and other family members. And as she made her way to New York by carriage from Virginia, every city she entered was filled with crowded streets ready to welcome her and her grandchildren until a few weeks later when they arrived in New York, which at uh, the end of the American Revolution was the temporary capital before... Well, actually, the so it was New York first, and then they moved to Philadelphia, and then Washington, D.C. was built. Yeah, but the point is, New York was the temporary capital at the time. Now, life in New York City was very much different from her quiet existence at Mount Vernon had been. And even though Martha felt trapped by the responsibility of being First Lady, she performed her duties fucking flawlessly. Martha was aware that her behavior as First Lady would become template, a template for the wives of... Uh, sorry, for the wives of future presidents. Now, one of her most important steps was to initiate a weekly reception uh, that she held on Friday evenings for anyone who would like to attend. And at these gatherings, members of Congress, visiting dignitaries, and men and women from the local community were would be received at the presidential mansion in New York. And after being presented to Martha, uh, they would enjoy refreshments and would talk with each other, just like about anything. Um, and although uh, most guests addressed Martha as Lady Washington, some people, and I love this, referred to, to her as Our Lady Presentess, which I think is very fun. Um, critics occasionally compa- complained that her weekly gatherings uh, was like, almost like a weird imitation of like the British crown, like she was acting like a queen consort, which, you know, is not good press for her considering they just overthrew a monarchy. But despite this, Martha won over her skeptics with her, you know, warm personality and good hospitality. She opened up the president's house to ordinary citizens, which was a sign that this new government would be close to the people and be responsive to their needs. Now, although George hosted his own gatherings, Martha's salons were much more diverse, bringing together uh, many different types of people, political adversaries, um, individuals from different parts of government, and women as well as men. And according to Abigail Adams, wife of the vice president and future, um, is it the second president? I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, Abigail Adams was wife of the second president, right? Anyway, uh, she said uh mrs washington's behavior as uh as the first lady i guess uh she was the object of veneration and respect and after the capital moved to philadelphia in 1791 martha grew a lot more comfortable in her new role she liked philadelphia a little more than she liked new york um and there among old friends and acquaintances she became much more used to her public duties uh but still she very much longed to return home to mount vernon she loved it there it was very quiet and as the political atmosphere became uh more noxious and you know kind of icky during george's second term her longing to go back to the country increased and she was pretty pretty much relieved when uh, george refused to serve a third term even though probably everyone would have voted for him in that case Um, In March 1797, the Washingtons set off again for Mount Vernon. Once and for all, you know, they would never be the first family ever again. And, you know, I think Martha was okay with that, you know? (laughs) Good for her. Retirement. 
Now, not too long after the Washingtons left the presidency on December 14, 1799, about two and a half or more like one and a half years after leaving the presidency, George Washington died quite suddenly uh, after contracting a throat infection. Now, the entire country, including Martha and her grandchildren, who George had helped raise and were basically those kids were the first first children were devastated when George died. Uh, When in public, Martha appeared in her mourning clothes in a black lace shawl, black gloves, and uh, black shoes. She sometimes also wore a mourning locket or ring containing a strand of George's hair, which is fucking so sad. I mean, this poor woman had lost two husbands, four children, and here she was at 68, having lived outlived almost everyone, but luckily she had her grandchildren and her uh, growing brood of great-grandchildren uh, to keep her company in her later years. Now, uh, about two years after George Washington's death, Martha also became quite sick, and she died on uh, May twenty second, May twenty second, eighteen o two, surrounded by her uh, grandchildren and great grandchildren. Now, Martha Washington's body was interred in the original Washington family tomb vault at Mount Vernon, where she still is, and. Um, In uh, 1831, the surviving relatives of George, who executed his estate, uh, decided to uh, remove the bodies of George and Martha and those of other members of the family from the old vault into uh, like a reconstructed version of that same vault uh, where they are now at Mount Vernon. And um, I hope to see it next year if I go to Mount Vernon. All right, let's get into legacy. Now, Martha, she just kind of left this, like, huge legacy as the first first lady of the United States. I mean, at the time she served, she made the position pretty much all about being a hostess, which, you know, while the position has changed a lot to be quite quite a powerful position in the last 245 years since America, you know, was created, the example she set is, is still very much present in the modern role. I don't think there's anything wrong with first lady being a hostess, but I, I think it's a role that, you know, should be taken more seriously and, you know, shouldn't just be about, like, hosting dinners and, you know, picking curtains. It, sh- it should be about that, but it should also be about getting into politics and championing women's causes and people of color and, you know. So I think she set the original precedent, but the role has definitely evolved since Martha has been there. Martha was a fascinating, fashionable, intelligent woman who, you know, changed the course of history forever just by marrying someone she loved. Um, thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode. I hope you guys have a, a good two weeks and I will see you next time. Love you guys. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMaceRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you guys could do that. All right. uh, Bye.